from garage startup to multi-million dollar business. Our next story is one that highlights that if you believe in that idea that you've got rattling around in your head, you can bring it to life and become very, very successful. My name is Ben Campbell, and this is The Self-Made Theory. David from RiderWare. What up, what up, what up? Hey, thanks for having me down at your pretty sensational corporate headquarters here in Beverly in Adelaide. You're welcome. You've only been here for four months, I think you were saying earlier? Yeah, we moved in um, April. Pretty special facility. I'm pretty impressed. I want to come and work down here. It's probably a a far cry from your grandma's garage where you originally started your business. Yeah, well, we designed this place to um, be able to hold 150 people, so just to future-proof the business. Yeah, brilliant. Um, and just behind us as well is another allotment for us to do stage two when the time comes. Yeah, To cool. really um, stop us from, I guess, moving from warehouse to warehouse because it's a big move. Yeah, I'll bet it is. I'll yeah. bet it is. So let's start with your elevator pitch. Who's RiderWare? RiderWare is an active wear brand for gym goers. So whether you're starting out or you're an elite athlete, we're for you. So you're a young guy. I'm sure you could be doing lots of other things uh, with your life. Mm-hmm. Why are you running right away? Honestly, it just felt right. It was something that um, at the time I was riding to my bodybuilding and I couldn't find any clothes that fit. So I started getting some singlets and some shorts made locally. And then I thought if I've got the problems, maybe other bodybuilders have the same problem. Yeah, right. So Rider Wheel was born. Wow, that's cool. And how, so when was this? When did, when did it start off? I was 25, so 2009. Okay. Yeah. And so in the market at that point, you were really struggling just finding stuff what, that was comfortable or that looked good or yeah. that was priced right or what, what, was the, what was the gap in the market? Everything was like potato sack cut. It was just <laughs> straight. I wanted everything to be tapered, con- contour my body yeah. and really accentuate um, my physique, which I was working very hard to attain. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that was the biggest struggle um, that I was experiencing at the time being a, you know, I was 110, 115 kilo bodybuilder. So you were training, but then getting product made locally just for you. That yes. was that was the original beginning, was it? Yes. And so then, what was the step? What was the step from going? You know what? I can make this for other people. Were were people commenting on your what you were wearing, or did you um, just think that if you had this problem? Uh, to be honest, I always felt like I wanted to do my own business. I didn't know what it was though, so I had all these ideas all the time. And I would run all these crazy ideas past my wife and she would like, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> then I told her about this idea and it was the first idea she didn't knock. And I was like, wow, she supports it. Maybe I'm onto something a, with this. That's a green light. That's a go, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, and she's pretty switched on. So I respect her, um, her opinion. Um, and then, yeah, I was doing security at the time. And that was just like um, just a way to pay the bills, I guess. It wasn't something I saw myself doing long term. Um, and then I had enough of that. And pretty much the day I quit my job doing security, the next day, full steam ahead into RiderWare, sourcing fabrics, finding suppliers, manufacturers, I guess, and um, finding a developer to build the website. So I made that leap. I guess um, to answer your question, they just felt right. Mm. So, so how long did it take? So you, you quit your job one day, yep. you decide the next day it's full steam ahead on RiderWare. That's exactly it. At what, when was the launch? Like how long did it take to get you know, product and yep. branding and websites, et cetera, built? So 2009, um, I believe it was mid-year, I quit my job, registered the business, and then it wasn't until August 10th the next year is when the website launched. So that whole year, just over a year, was preparation. So getting stock ready, finding suppliers, and like just making a lot of mistakes. And it was just, it was a very tedious um, 
process at the time because I'd get, I'd find the fabric, then I'll take it to a pattern maker to draw up the patterns, then I'll take it to a factory to cut the cut the fabric and you know make it look like a garment. Then I'll take that garment to a screen printer to get it screen printed. So it was like a five six step process, which was just. It was dumb now looking back on it, but <laughs> the things uh, you learn along the way. Exactly, yeah. Um, but yeah, just just over a year from me saying, "Yep, this is something I'm throwing myself in the deep end," to actually launching the the website from the front end perspective. So, how did you fund that? I mean, obviously, you're, you're not in a job; you quit your job. Were yep. you working on the business full time up until? Yeah, that must have been pretty hairy. Yeah, it was. Um, it was just self funded. Um, had a little bit of money in the bank. Um, I put towards it, but I started like very small. So I was running from my grandma's bedroom. So from my bedroom at my grandma's, um, from her garage, and that was the pretty much my office and my warehouse for the first few years. So my overheads were quite low. <laughs> it's not an uncommon story, and you often hear these wonderful stories where people have built these great brands starting out of a garage. Um, but it's not often you actually meet someone who's actually done it. Um, that's that's a pretty cool story. So between you know quitting the job, starting the business, and going live, was there any time through that period you thought, "What the hell am I doing?" Or were you so set on you that there was such a vacancy in the market that you were just convinced that this was going to be success? Yeah, I I don't know how, but I just knew. I had this inner self-belief with it um, that what I was doing was right and it was going to work. And um, there wasn't many competitors at the time, so I didn't really have anyone, I guess, to model or look, you know, this is working for them, this is not working. So I sort of just listened to my gut and just went with it. Um, But I was, I can't explain it, I just knew that there was something greater on the other side if I followed this path. Yeah, right. Wow, that's cool. Mm. And so did you, you in terms of market testing, did you have other bodybuilders you were testing the idea on? Did they try your product out as you were going along the way? What was was sort of the market research that you were doing? Yep. So a lot of the market research was just what I like to wear (laughs) and then my brother (laughs) or my friends at the gym, other bodybuilders. A Um, a market of one or two. Exactly. (laughs) So I thought, what, what do I like? And so I started designing based on my own preferences. And then um, when you start selling, you get opinions, um, which I learned along the way rather quickly is don't listen to everyone because everyone's got their, a whole different you know, set of opinions or visions um, that you don't want to, I guess, uh, deter you or steer you in another direction. So I stayed true to what I felt was the best wow. you know, cuts, fit, fabric for the functionality side of it. And um, yeah, I just ran with it. And then as we gained more momentum and the business launched, I had professional athletes, professional top bodybuilders, um, Lee Priest and Ronnie Coleman uh, a couple of years later was eight time Mr. Olympia. Um, That was pretty awesome actually, (laughs) gifting them, um, meeting them, doing photo shoots with them and then getting the feedback from them as well. So yeah, I've listened to myself, but also along the way I've taken bits and pieces from others. It's pretty brave to stick with that vision that you have and not be swayed by the market because you're right everybody's got an opinion and you could just be constantly tacking and changing based on everybody's different opinion you'd never have a direction you'd be yep. all over the place yeah what was the move from grandma's garage when did when did you decide hey this was a serious gig and we needed to do something more than you know, yep. run it out of the garage so for the first i reckon year to two years i was um my office was my bedroom my packing bench was my bed so every day I'd get the laundry basket, I'd walk to the shed, I'd pick out um, all the clothes and the orders and I'd pack them and then walk to the post office and drop them off. Um, then we brought out a ladies range and when I brought that ladies range out, it was more expensive, uh, high end and the garage was 
it was a very small garage. It was full. So I started moving all the lady stuff into the lounge room. And at that point, my grandma was a bit fed up that I was eating up into the lounge room. <laughs> <laughs> I was using it um, pretty much as a warehouse. <laughs> so at that point, that's when I thought, you know what? I'm taking up too much room. You know, I need my own space as well because I, I think separating home from work, um, even though it's, it's, it's all living, it's a lifestyle, just making that uh, mental switch was needed. So I got my first office in 2013. It's pretty much just like a little office, two, three bedroom. Uh, I think it was a little small uh, private accounting firm before I got it. And yeah, that was the leap. So two, three years in is when I made that first decision to get my own office and use that space purely as a right away um, HQ, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And so were you, was it just you still working on the business or did you, yep. what was the day that you hired your first employer? So um, my wife uh, were business partners. Uh, so she was always supporting me throughout the whole process, um, the whole creative side. She's, she's it's wicked. She's so creative and her marketing ideas are just awesome. So it wouldn't be where it is now without her, 100%. So um, I had the drive and I knew where I wanted to steer the business, but she was the one who would connect the dots in mm-hmm. between, uh, you know, dot the I's, cross the T's. She's the details person. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you need that as you well. You do. I think it was maybe two years into the business is when she was uh, working full-time and then she reduced it down to part-time. And then within six months, um, she decided to quit her job and then come do right away full-time as well. Wow. And how many employees have you got today? About 35, I think, today. Gee, that's a lot. Wow, that's fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and so what's what's the rise been like? Has it been, you know, you know have you just grown year on year on year yep. uh, through that period of time? Yep. Yeah, so um, it's been quite exponential, I'd say, the last few years. Uh, we've been growing year on year. But uh, from 2014 is when I hired uh, my first employee uh, for customer service. And then I hired a wholesale manager because we also, besides selling online, we distribute to gym, supplement stores, that, that sort of thing too. Um, and then we moved to a larger warehouse. Uh, and then at that point, that's when, um, I guess you can only do so much being one person. So you do need to like a sort of double down on your strengths and hire for your weaknesses. So then I got people, operations manager, um, pickers and packers for the warehouse, um, customer service and social media. Um, and then from that point, the business just kept growing. So I had to keep, uh, hiring more and more people. And right now, like I said, we sit on, I think, 30 to 35 employees. But by December, it's probably going to be around 50. Wow. So, And what sort of turnover? Can you talk to that? Yep. Um, so last financial year, we did, I believe, just over 10, 10, 11 uh, million. Wow. Uh, this year will be somewhere, I think, around 20. <laughs> um, but next year is the big one. Next year, that's why we've moved to this new place, the premises to really enable us to grow and really dominate the, on an international um, stage. So I'm really excited for next year. Which is, which is really good because a lot of businesses actually are always playing catch up on that. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll never, they won't invest until they've got that next level of revenue. Yep. It's pretty rare actually to see, without external public funding, mm-hmm. a company decide that they're going to really build a big platform for big growth coming yeah. in the future. The first few years, I didn't make any money, like in terms of profit. All the money went back into the business. Yeah. And even now it does. Um, spending more than I ever have on marketing, yeah. just the, our resources, everything just gets funneled back into the business. Yeah. Um, it has to. That's, that's the only way we keep going. Um, and so how closely do you track you know, spend on marketing versus return on investment in terms of few, you know, more further sales? Yep. Do you, how closely do you track that? Um, no, we, you have to know your numbers. It's the most important thing. But there also is a lag on return um, on investment, especially with uh, the influencer side of marketing. Yep. It's not something you 
suddenly pay X amount of dollars and receive Y back. It might take six to 12 months before you reap those rewards. Um, and just building that community, what's the ROI on building community? So it's, and it's more probably of a, one of those things that really explodes as the community gets to a certain size, whatever yeah. X is in terms of size. Exactly. I can imagine at that point that would be when you see a big uplift in sales. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a very much a long-term strategy. Mm. Um, and that's something I think that a lot of entrepreneurs have to realize. Don't be, I guess, um, don't focus on the short game. Um, you can spend a dollar and you know get a dollar back, but I guess focus on the the three to five years down the track and where you want the business to be, um, because it's it's not all about the money either. It's the journey uh, along the way, the things you learn, and the best thing is honestly, people. That's the most important thing for me. Hiring the right people and working with all these influencers, athletes, employees. You need to have the right people and right team around you. What happens when you hire the wrong person? It costs you a lot of freaking money. <laughs> <laughs> It does, and that's people often rush to hire because they think if I don't have a bum in the seat mm-hmm. now, it's going to you know cost me some time and money. Yeah. But it's so so much more expensive mm-hmm. when you hire the wrong person. They say um, it's not the person you don't hire; it's the person you don't fire that costs you the most money. So I totally agree with that. Um, having the wrong bum on the seat is worse than having no person on the seat um, because you'll find a way. To, to get things done um, that's what I guess entrepreneurs do that's what makes them entrepreneurs um, but yeah uh, people I'll say is my number one focus moving forwards now and moving forwards this episode of the self-made theory is brought to you by New Black Designs New Black Designs is a boutique interior design agency created in 2004 specialising in both residential and commercial projects. They can help you with full home interior design, bespoke kitchens and bathrooms, design of commercial office fit-outs, cafe and retail design and project management. Here's what just one of their clients have to say. It was an absolute pleasure working with Emily from New Black Designs. From the outset, she was professional and friendly. With opening my first cafe, I wasn't sure what style I wanted or where to start. Emily was sensational in helping me visualise the setup, style and colour scheme of the dining area and kitchen. I couldn't be any happier with the result. I would have no hesitation in recommending Emily for any work. I hope to work with her again in the future. Wow. New Black Designs can also provide property staging if you're planning to sell your home. Everything from styling advice right through to full staging your home with all furniture and accessories needed to maximise your sale value. You can find New Black Designs at www.newblackdesigns.com. That's sensational. What? So what's driving the growth? What is the market growing? Is there something you're doing you think specifically yep. that's driving that growth? I'd say social media has had a huge impact just on every person's um, life. You know, we all walk around with mobile phones now. So it's just having that accessibility to so many people um, around the world. And we really occupy the digital space. So growing that through influencers and athletes. Um, originally, uh, we still do it, but originally it was just Google, Facebook ads, um, all that sort of remarketing. And then we transitioned uh, somewhat to influencers and influencer marketing. Mm. And that's really helped the business grow. How do you access those influencers? Yeah. Where do they come from? How do you get to them? Why are they interested in right away? Well, we have a few different tiers of athletes. So we have micro-influencers, which are just generally, um, say, zero to 10,000 or 20,000 followers. Then you have a, a mid-tier, which could be up to 100, a couple hundred thousand. And then we have the top tier, which are the, the millions, the, the huge, the Kai Greens, Lauren Simpsons, um, Ulysses. We've got some really top big athletes that dominate the industry. And that, is that just here in Australia or is that are they global athletes? That was global. 
So that's yeah, America, UK, and Australia um, are. And so, why do they care about a little old clothing brand in Australia? Um, I guess their vision or their lifestyle aligns perfectly with our brand, um, and because we've got that synergy, we work well together. Let's talk about the brand. How did you come up with what the brand meant? How did you come up with what it meant to the market? Is that linked to what it means to you? Yep. It was definitely, it was an afterthought. It was something that I just went with my gut um, and just followed. And then after I did the research and the exact question that you asked me, what is the brand? And then I had to define it on words where somehow just... um, instinctively I knew what the brand was but when someone asked me to explain it it was like ah, it's a tough question and then um, I guess uh, obviously as we hired more and more people we had to uh, teach people other people and explain what the brand is but originally it started just with my own I guess my own values and beliefs and my lifestyle at the time being a bodybuilder. I love it when we do the formal study piece later, which just validates what we're already doing. That's always it's, it's always a good validation. Exactly. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so you you mentioned before about doubling down on your strengths and hiring for your weaknesses. Mm-hmm. As a entrepreneur, sometimes that's hard to actually recognise what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. How did you determine that along the way? Trial and error. That's it. Making mistakes. Um, and realizing quite quickly the business can't grow unless I'm honest with myself and know that I am the bottleneck of the business. So I need to uh, develop my skills and be able to leverage other people's skills. Yeah, cool. It's a big call for a lot of people and a lot of people don't get it right. So along the way, it's been 2009 to 2018, so that's nine years. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's been plenty of things that you look back on now and go, if only I'd done this, or I wish I hadn't done that. Not, I'm sure it's not all beer and Skittles. There's, there's probably some heartache along the way. Can you share anything with us about uh, things you wish you could have done differently? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's like a roller coaster ride. I tend to not focus on that because it does you, you do your own head in with all the all the things you've, you could have done or changed of or course. decisions you should have made differently. But if I did have a time machine and could go back, I guess I would have jumped on the the athlete influencer marketing much sooner than I did. Um, that was something that no one really knew was going to skyrocket. Like no one knew that social media was going to take over the way it did. So being the first in, even though we did have a social media presence, uh, we didn't have, I guess, a main focus on influencers like we do now back then. So if I was starting now, that's the first thing I would, I would focus on, getting the right team, right influencers to push the brand. And yeah, you're growing it from there. So the influencer marketing piece, the connection to a elite sports athlete who then connects to your brand. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really fascinated by that whole piece and, and uh, I've, I see that, I've seen that even on this podcast. I had a particular organisation on the podcast a little while ago and he sent me a text a couple of weeks ago and said, how's the podcast going? I said, oh, you're really good. He said, I'm hiring new staff this week and every single person I've interviewed has listened to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and, and I've heard other people say, you know, they're now more connected with the brand, that they've listened to their story mm-hmm understood the story, understood where it started and feel a lot more connected to the brand than they did before. And that's what really these elite athletes are bringing with the influencer piece. People are connected to those people, so therefore they're then connected to your brand. Exactly, you know yeah. So when you started out, you were serious into your bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. Now you're running a big company, $10 million turnover, big corporate headquarters, 35 employees. How much training are you doing now? Um, not much. <laughs> I still try to incorporate it into my daily routine because it's really good, not just physically, mentally. It's a good um, stress relief and it, it just it, it keeps you, I guess, uh, 
it keeps me the juices flowing, so to speak, um, my creative thinking and um, I do my audio books while I'm training as well. So I still try to hit the gym if I can four or five times a week. I just, I guess the nutrition and the focus, because there's a lot more outside the gym that you have to do rather than inside the gym um, to reap the rewards. So my focus has sort of shifted and I can see that with myself over the years when I look at photos from when the business started, that as the business got more and more successful, it's like the business grew, but then my body started to shrink. (laughs) So I guess um, what you focus on, you definitely like do bring um, into like reality and it becomes, I guess, exactly like Kai Green says right behind you, thoughts become things. That's, um, he hits the nail on the head with that one. Um, but yeah, there was definitely a change. Uh, my focus definitely shifted towards the business and then training, I guess, took a back seat. And, and it sort of has to, right? But, I mean, it doesn't mean you can't be healthy and you can't still you know, look after yourself, but you can't do everything. That's one of the challenges I think of any business owner is how do I fit everything that I want to do into my day? Yep. Um, but I think the, and I agree with you, and I've spoken to a lot of uh, business people and entrepreneurs who talk about how important physical exercise is mm-hmm. in whatever capacity you, you do it is important to you know, both your mental health, your physical health, and, your, yep. and really your energy to keep your business running. Yep, exactly. Totally agree. Yeah, cool. So you talked about massive growth coming mm-hmm. this year and, and next year, mm-hmm. and you mentioned international. What are you thinking there? I guess increasing our just global presence through our current channels, um, incre- increasing our distribution networks, our social media, um, and just the overall presence of RightAware on an international scale. Mm. Um, I want really RightAware to be a household name. So there's quite a few uh, different avenues we're exploring now um, and we're expanding on the current existing social media platforms and the ads and everything else I mentioned before, Um, but really just taking it to the next level. So next year is going to be a huge year for us. I feel like this year um, was just preparation. So not not, not a lot net new in terms of new product, but more around... Uh, the reach of what you're already currently doing today both here in Australia both okay. Pro- products as well we've got a fashion design team now as well so uh, we're trying to get 12 months ahead so this time next year I'll know what we're releasing so if we can really get that forecasting um, in it's going to make us much more effective and I guess as we go we collect more data so we know what sells what doesn't sell what sizes to get um, styles fabrics etc so the more time that goes on we can collect this data and make the right decisions mm. so when you're looking for staff where do they come from? Do they come from the fitness industry? Are they uh, are they athletes themselves, or are they from the fashion industry, or just general clothing industry? Yeah, all of the above, actually. Okay. Um, so our social media manager is an athlete as well. She was an athlete prior to us hiring her, so that just aligned Perhaps, well. Yeah. So being at uh, the forefront, being social media, she has a very good understanding of what the brand is because she lives and breathes the brand herself. Um, but we've got many people from interstate as well, people that have moved here. So our whole media team, they're all Queensland, Melbourne. They'll, they've all quit their jobs or they're working independently for themselves and have come over to work for right away. Moved to Adelaide to do that. Exactly. Oh, that's sensational. Yeah. That's I love cool. it. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I read somewhere that you talked about uh, it's a great place to run a business. Yeah. Uh, do you see you expanding outside of Adelaide? Yeah, definitely. Um, Because of the international expansion I was talking about earlier, uh, we want to have fulfillment centers around the world. So right now we ship everything from Adelaide, Australia. Um, US is a huge market for us. Almost half our sales go to the US. So if we could set up- Half your sales? Yeah. Wow. So if we could set up a warehouse in the US, um, it would be next day delivery. So from a customer's point of view, um, it would be just, I guess, easier, more convenient. US followed by UK. 
would be the the next steps in that expansion. That next day delivery, yeah. how important is that for customers in their decision buying criteria? Um, free shipping and next day delivery, I'd say, are the highest amongst that decision making. That last second, whether yes I do or no I don't, um, is extremely important. Yeah. So that makes uh, that makes your overseas expansion one of those things that you know should hopefully drive a lot more sales. Yeah, exactly. Wow, that's really cool. So what's uh, so what's next outside of the international expansion? Growing into other markets, into other you know active sportswear uh, type markets, or are you predominantly focused on the bodybuilding and general fitness? Market? Yeah, so it's more um, gym wear, and for the active, uh, I guess, gym goer that trains say one to five times a week, um, that is our main core demographic, and that's who we are focusing on. Um, eventually, I guess if we cross the road of you know pivoting somewhat further to say including um, other more mainstream sports, that's something we're always open to because that's just evolution and growth of any business. Um, but right now, our main focus is active gym goers. Well, I'm a cyclist, so whenever you decide <laughs> that moving into lycra and cycling is what you want to do, I'm happy to be a test bunny for you. No problem. We've, <laughs> we've actually got um, a compression range coming next next year. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, mate, thank you so much for uh, spending some time talking to us about your great journey. It is a great story for South Australia. It's pretty exciting. Uh, and yeah, seeing your corporate headquarters and the plans that you've got for your future growth, it's, uh, I'm really excited to continue to watch your story as it uh, continues to evolve. So well done on building such a great business. Awesome. Thank you. Cheers. I think everyone loves a success story like David's, especially when it started out with just one guy in his grandma's garage. Congratulations to David and all the team at RiderWare, and I'm really interested to see where their future takes them. You can find RiderWare on all major social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Just search RiderWare, spelled R-Y-D-E-R-W-E-A-R. Drop David a message and let him know what you thought of the podcast. And hey, tag me in too, at The Self-Made Theory. You can also find details in the show notes or on my website, theselfmadetheory.com. And I've got some great extra photos on there as well. In addition to all the major podcast platforms you can listen to us on, you can now subscribe to The Self-Made Theory on Spotify. We would love you to rate or comment, or ideally both, on your favourite app, including iTunes. It really does help. Until next time, keep innovating, overcoming and prospering.